Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 54. In his dream, he realized that each statue had a name burning on the floor in front of it. The man with the white hair with a necklace of teeth about his neck holding a drum was Lukotwas. The broad-hipped woman with monsters dropping from the vast gash between her legs was Herber. The ram-headed man holding the golden ball was Herchef. A precise voice, fussy and exact, was speaking to him in his dream, but he could see no one. There are gods who have been forgotten, and now might as well be dead. They can be found only in dry histories. They are gone, all gone, but their names and their images remain with us. Shadow turned a corner, and knew himself to be in another room even vaster than the first. It went on further than the eye could see. Close to him was the skull of a mammoth, polished and brown, and a hairy ochre cloak, being worn by a small woman with a deformed left hand. Next to that were three women, each carved from the same granite boulder, joined at the waist. Their faces had an unfinished, hasty look to them, although their breasts and genitalia had been carved with elaborate care. And there was a flightless bird which Shadow did not recognize, twice his height, with a beak made for rending, like a vulture's, but with human arms, and on and on. The voice spoke once more as if it were addressing a class, saying, There are the gods who have passed out of memory. Even their names are lost. The people who worship them are as forgotten as their gods. Their totems are long since broken and cast down. Their last priests died without passing on their secrets. Gods die, and when they truly die, they are unmourned and unremembered. Ideas are more difficult to kill than people, but they can be killed in the end. There was a whispering noise that began to run through the hall, a low susurrus that caused Shadow in his dream to experience a chilling and inexplicable fear, and all-engulfing panic took him. There, in the halls of the gods whose very existence had been forgotten, octopus-faced gods and gods who were only mummified hands or falling rocks or forest fires, Shadow woke with his heart jackhammering in his chest, his forehead clammy, entirely awake. The red numerals on the bedside clock told him, And that's our page. So Shadow hears a voice describing the Forgotten Gods. It comes from the ether, but I wasn't completely nuts when I was talking out of my butt yesterday's episode talking about Forgotten Gods. Or maybe I just remembered that this passage was coming. We don't get a name for the god on the previous page, the goddess, but it's as good as confirmation as I'm going to take that it's probably her. The voice is coming from the ether is Mr. Ibis, a character who we'll meet, uh, I don't know, quite a bit down the line. It, I thought it was closer than it was, but when I flipped through to try and figure out where he showed up, it was pretty far down the way here. He's another storyteller that I forgot about on the last episode, but generally... I think he's the narrator of the novel itself. He kind of pops up from time to time. Not Mr. Ibis specifically. The narrator pops up from time to time. And I'll be kind of pointing that out a little more. There's moments where we get weird descriptions of things that are not from Shadow's perspective or anyone's perspective. And I think in those moments we're dealing with Mr. Ibis instead. Mr. Ibis will be from the Egyptian pantheon, but that's... I think it was about a hundred pages away. So for right now, we're not going to we're not going to uh, worry too much about it. So the first god we get a mention of was Lucotwas, Lucotwius, uh, a Gallo-Roman god. That's G-A-L-L-O, 
Gallo-Roman god that was worshipped in what is now France, often closely identified with Mars, the Roman god of war. His name might translate to something like lightning, but there's a as a, one of the forgotten or mostly forgotten gods, there's not a whole lot of data out there about him. It looks like also that he was worshipped in parts of Bath in England. But once again, there's very little to go on on a lot of these. Uh, Huber was a Babylonian goddess known also as Tiamat. She appears as both a mother and a warrior in two different stories. And in the one where she was a warrior goddess, she eventually killed. She was eventually killed by another Babylonian god, Marduk. And it appears he did so because she brought forth a number of monsters into the world after killing her husband and usurping her throne. Marduk split her remains in two and created the sky from one of the halves. She was one of the earliest depictions of creatures that we think of as dragons. And a version of Tiamat even appears in Dungeons and Dragons as a multi-headed dragon. So, not completely forgotten in the way that some of the others have been. Oh, boy. So, it also occurs to me that monstrous mothers are one of those kind of old, old themes. There's Beowulf. There's also Gaiman's own version of the Jewish myth of Lilith in Sandman issue 40, Parliament of Rooks. Huh, never really thought about that too deeply. Hmm. Uh, her chef was an Egyptian creator and fertility god who had the head of a ram and the body of a man, most closely related to Ra and Osiris in the Egyptian pantheon, and is often also associated with Heracles from Greek mythology. One of his names translates roughly to he who is over strength, and he was known as the ruler of the riverbanks also appeared in Captain Marvel comics as the H in Black Adam's Shazam, but after the reboot of Crisis on Infinite Earths, he was replaced. So once again, not a completely forgotten god. At least there's a lot more information about these two than there were about Lucotois, or the goddess on the previous page, whose name I've already forgotten, which, God, just goes to prove a point, doesn't it? Um... The woman wearing the skull of a mammoth and with a withered left hand is uh, Nunyanini, but that's about 300 pages away, so we'll just put a pin in it for now. I'm not certain about the three women carved into the same boulder. It probably is just a reference to the triple goddess that Neil has been invoking for years. The triple goddess is typically represented as the mother, the maiden, and the crone. They're seen this way in lots of mythologies and also in Gaiman's Sandman. It represents the life cycle of a woman, the phases of the moon, sometimes the earth, the heavens, and the underworld. There's probably as many um, there's probably as many representations for them as there are actual representations of them in various mythologies. It's one of those. It's one of those things that I could probably do an entire week of episodes about, and it's really fascinating, but I would encourage you to look into it more if, if it sounds like it's up your alley. I tried to find a match for the man-bird hybrid, but there's a lot of examples of man-bird hybrids in different mythologies and religions and things, and it's hard to tell which one is which. 
there's even a few sites out there that will have slight annotations of some of the gods and goddesses we meet in within the story, but no one seems to have identified him. There will be a annotated version of American Gods. Ooh, there will be an annotated version of American Gods coming out sometime sometime next year. I'm excited, but I kind of wished I had known about it before I started the podcast, because it would have made research a whole lot easier. Oy, oh well. And then uh, the word that I stumbled over, Suceress. Let me see what Google says. Suceress. There we go. Suceress um, means whispering, murmuring, or rustling, i.e. the Suceress of the stream. Origin, <clears throat> origin from Latin susurrare to murmur or hum, then uh, comes in late Middle English susurrus from susurratio, late Latin. Hmm. Uh, I was trying to find more data about it, but yeah, it's it's kind of a a whispering or a rustling and. I think it's generally used in the way that it's used here, dread or fear. It seems like it was first used in its modern form in 1826, perhaps? Anyway, just one of those words that I felt I needed to point out because I stumbled over it, and I didn't really know what it meant. It's one of those things that I can kind of pull out by uh, by the context within the page, and wow, so uh, Wiki Wiktionary says that uh, Neil used it in the Graveyard Book as well to refer to the way that the uh, the sleer sound, a low susurrus of excitement building in the chamber. Hmm, and also shows up in a lot of fantasy. There's George Martin, Pat Rothfuss. Well, what do you know? Anyhow, just wanted to point that out so I didn't forget to talk about words that I don't know. There's a briefly mentioned octopus-faced god, and this is probably a nod to Cthulhu from the H.P. Lovecraft stories. Neil has done a lot of Cthulhu, not a lot, but he's done a number of related stories. Uh, Shagath's Old Peculiar is a funny one. A Study in Emerald is a more nightmarish one in the vein of old Lovecraft tales. But the inclusion here is an interesting question for me, but I guess maybe as an atheist it's more interesting. I guess the question is, do fictional gods count in this book? And I, it, it appears they do. Cthulhu was completely made up whole cloth by Lovecraft, probably based on some proto-human sort of god or something, but it's just funny to see him up there with a bunch of other... Oh, no, wait, I get it. I bet it's Neil saying, hey, look, it was made up, but it wasn't really made up. Look at all this way back. There's this fictional or non-fictional version of this fictional god. The answer, I think, though, to my question that I stumbled over here is that all gods are fictional, not from an atheist asshole perspective that I'm not going to try to get into, but that the gods are fictional until they're brought to life by human belief, and it's the belief that gives them life. So even the act of writing a god 
like Cthulhu into a book and then having people read that book makes the god true. I guess I'll just meditate on that a bit. Mummified hand god, there was a boulder god, there was the forest fire god. I didn't really come up with much about these. I think it's just Neil tossing out ideas. I would love to be wrong, though. The only thing I could find about a mummified hand was the hand of glory, which was generally a dried hand of a hanged man, typically the left because, you know, left-handed people are evil, obviously. If you make a candle from the fat of the same hanged man and place it in the hand, it would render all people who see it unable to move. It's probably a throwaway reference to that, though maybe in some weird timeline it could also be a reference to the Wallmasters from the original Legend of Zelda. Something tells me Neil Gaiman probably didn't play The Legend of Zelda, but let me dream. Shadow awakens to red lights on the motel clock. And that's where we end, but there's another color, so I have to point it out. Although, really, that's just the typical color of a clock. So, I'm looking too much into it. But hey... If you know something I don't about the red lights of a clock, you can get in touch at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues that we use as our theme song. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.